0: It's Monday, February 9th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Jason Moser, joining me in the studio today from Motley Fool Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman, and from Motley Fool Stock Advisor the US edition, Mr. Brendan Matthews. Guys, thanks for being here.
1: Of course. Pleasure.
0: Listeners, uh, please don't adjust your iPhones. This is a bit of a different uh, setup here. I am actually in the in the host's chair today. Chris Hill good is out. Well, thanks. Thank you. I, I like to think that uh, maybe you're just used to seeing Chris here, and I'm just sort of taking on a little bit of his vibe. But, uh, yeah, Chris is out. Turns out our buddy Mark Reith is sick. Mark, mm-hmm. we hope you feel better. Uh, so I guess they're scraping the bottom of the barrel here, and <laughs> getting a guy like me into hose for uh for a day. But I'll try to do the best I can. Let's plow forward here. Uh, we are going to talk about Hasbro earnings. We're going to talk about what really grinds our gears during earnings season. A little something new we're going to try today. But first, let's talk about Diamond Offshore. Uh, Diamond Offshore earnings came out today, Taylor. Mm-hmm. This morning, it was a miss on the revenue side, a beat on the earnings side. Uh, you know what really caught my attention here was. A dividend that they canceled. It was a special dividend mm-hmm. uh, that you know. I was looking at this. They've paid this every quarter, dating back to the fourth quarter of two thousand and seven, and they canceled that dividend this quarter. They did. Uh, tell me a little bit about the quarter and why you think they canceled that dividend.
1: So yeah, that quarter they were off seven percent year over year on revenue, but like you said, they beat on earnings for estimate purposes. With um, the dividend, long-term shareholders have really benefited. It's been about five point seven billion in payouts since you you mentioned they initiated that. So the stock sold off pre-market, but it's right around even now, maybe down about half a percent. But the special dividend is cut and the CEO made some remarks that I thought were pretty interesting. He's talking about having some extra cash because everyone knows the oil market is is in a state of flux right now. He's hoping that there's some M&A activity out there that Diamond Offshore can take advantage of. Um, they have some some old fleets. You liken them to a Transocean, not nearly as big, but their their deepwater and ultra deep water fleets are relatively old compared to um, an Ensco or a Sea Drill. Um, and so maybe they have to dry stack some of their older rigs, or possibly take them off the market. And by dry stacking them, I just mean um, putting them back on the dock until they either get a get a contract or t- until they do decide to try and sell them. So I think that the dividend being cut, it's short term pain for uh, hopefully some long term gain if they can find somebody out there in the in the deep water market or potentially even near shore to, to broaden their portfolio a little bit.
0: So you mentioned something about M and A activity and mm-hmm. its mergers and acquisition for our listeners out there as I'm sure you probably are aware, but when you see a company like Diamond offshore, is this a company that you think is going to acquire or one that could be acquired? So or could that go either way? Yeah. I mean, it's not a small company, but it's not a, an exceptionally large company in right. this industry. But but you can see certainly the the market cap has taken a little bit of a hit.
1: It has. And I think it kind of falls right in the sweet spot there of uh, you've got some companies that are bigger than it. Transocean is the biggest in the business. Um but a lot of these companies in this industry are very levered. Uh, they have a l- high debt levels. So I could see um, with this dividend being cut, giving them, I think they said around $400 million in added liquidity, I could see them being a buyer or maybe a merger. Um, I would. I don't know if anybody would go out and buy them because of those older rigs um, and the specialization to ultra deep water and deep water, which might take a few more years uh, to really come back to the forefront of the energy industry. So that's how I feel about uh, what would possibly happen in a deal space.
0: So, Brendan, you know, when we look at energy writ large, as Chris Hill would like to say – see, I'm already feeling a little bit like Chris now (laughs) – you know, Dynad Offshore is a a deep-water play. This is a deep-water play, uh, not the same sort of diversity that you would find in a company like Halliburton, for example. Uh, So when you see something like this that's very dependent on the deep-water sector, uh, how how do you look at that as far as energy investments? Do you do you find these to be opportunities when companies maybe are are in a state of flux, so to speak? We know that that oil uh, particularly is is uh, in the down and outs right now. Do you feel like these are opportunities, or do you feel like these companies that are reliant on one specific market segment are a little bit riskier uh, than you care to to deal with? So- I think the way to make money on a company like
2: Diamond Offshore is you got to buy it at the right point in the cycle, which I think is what uh, the Tisch brothers did at Lowe's when they, when they initially bought in. I don't feel I have the expertise to time the offshore drilling cycles, so I'm not, I'm not looking at that. Although, I do think deep water is potentially a big long-term opportunity. If you look back over the past five years, I think more than half of the new uh, discoveries of reserves have been in deep water. So I think that there's a lot of there's a good argument to say that there's a lot of oil out there, uh under the ocean, covers seventy two percent of the the
0: surface of the earth and it's pretty deep. I think it was Pete Miller with National or formerly with National Oil Well Arco, um, not too terribly long ago. I think he was he was looking at this as the as the deep water century. So mm-hmm. even though we're in some short term fluctuation right now, um it could still certainly be uh, Many brighter days ahead, uh, Brendan. You mentioned something about the Tisch Brothers real quick, and, and Taylor, I wanted to ask you here because Diamond Offshore is a company with a relatively low float that's traded on the open market, mm-hmm. and the Tisch Brothers uh, head up a corporation called Lowe's, not the the home improvement store, but mm-hmm. Lowe's Corporation. That uh, they they own close to fifty one percent of the voting shares of the, of the shares outstanding of of Diamond Offshore. Right. So uh, when when you see a company with with that. Type of ownership structure where you really, you know, at the end of the day, the Tish brothers and Lowe's—they're they're they're the ones calling the shots here. Mm -hmm. Does that give you pause, or do you feel like, well, you're just really tied to the success of a of a you know proven out management team to begin with?
1: Well, I kind of I kind of like it. I mean, they they seem to be long term investors. When you're going to own more than fifty percent of the company, Mm -hmm. Um, you're not going to be in it for a short term gain like an activist investor might be. Because if you if it shares do pop and you want to take advantage of that. And you sell shares to make a meaningful impact on your bottom line. You're going to have to sell a, a significant amount of shares, and that's probably going to drive the price down uh, to see that high of a volume um, on the seller's market. So, uh, and with them, they made a good example of being long-term investors with Boardwalk Pipeline Partners, who they are also a majority holder of of shares over there. They cut the dividend not too long ago. Um, short-term investors sold off pretty heavily, but I think it put that company in a much better position um, to to grow in the infrastructure and the the pipeline space in the United States. So, um, with outstanding uh, shares like that, I I think that Lowe's or any majority shareholder um, would be a net benefit. Obviously, you have to look at the history, but for the most part, I I would appreciate that.
0: The last of the major toy makers here announced earnings this morning. Hasbro came in a little bit light on the revenue side, Brendan, but earnings beat expectations, and the market apparently is loving it. Uh, The stock is up around 6% today, a little bit more. Tell me a little bit about the quarter. You know why we saw uh, so, so earlier in the quarter we saw t- toy makers like Mattel, uh, we saw Leapfrog really really uh, suffer uh, at a you know weaker consumer spending and a tough holiday season. It seems like Hasbro had a less tough holiday season, uh, but but really the market is, is receiving this this story. Uh, much more positively than the other two. T- tell me a little bit about the quarter and, and what you think went well. So first of all, you have to understand that revenue was only up 1%, not much,
2: but that was actually because of currency effects. If you had excluded the currency effects, which are kind of random noise over the long term, you're going to have a 7% revenue growth, 9% growth in adjusted earnings. And really what this came from was their category of boys toys. So that's Transformers, Nerf, Marvel, those were the, the killer um, franchises. Uh, their games and the girls categories, which include um, My Little Pony, those were those were actually down. So it was Transformers Nerf, Marvel um, that were really strong, 21% sales
0: growth in the boys category. That's really impressive, given the the headwinds all of these toy companies are facing in the digital age. Is is all of these companies try to figure out ways to, to monetize those properties on the digital front? It seems like Hasbro's faced with the same challenges, but they do have a line of, as you said, boys' toys there that are that are still obviously showing a popularity there. Now you talked a little bit about currency effects, and I want to ask your your take on this because we've seen a lot of this play out here over the course of this of this earnings season. Uh, companies like Amazon.com uh, felt felt the same sort of, of pinch there. Uh, you know, we talk about currency effects, and and it's it's easy to sort of note quarter by quarter. But, but as investors, typically as foolish investors, we tend to, to look at things a little bit more long term. So when you consider currency effects, is that something you consider in an investment thesis at all? Or is it even it's just something you, you just more or less dismiss? I don't think about it much. I my theory is that
2: over time typically it will even out now there are probably situations where if half your business uh, is in venezuela or <laughs> argentina or something like that then then there's probably you should probably th- not want to hold money there and, and think about that but but generally i think that currency evens out over time you'll it'll be a drag f- sometimes and sometimes'll you'll get it you'll benefit
0: yeah and it's worth noting that about half of Hasbro sales come from the United States and Canada the remainder comes from that international market but I don't think it's all levered to Venezuela so investors <laughs> could probably uh, feel a little bit better about that and uh, raise the dividend today the market seems to to appreciate that along with a stock repurchase plan so they're gonna they authorize another five hundred million dollars in stock
2: repurchases and one of the things I I think that's really admirable about Hasbro is they are really putting money uh, back in shareholders' pockets through both regular uh, dividend raises and then also pretty aggressive repurchases.
0: Yeah, and I think that's uh, that's that's manifesting itself in in what looks to be either a record high or or close to all time high here. The stock has continued to do really well. This is a recommendation in stock advisor currently correct. Yeah, it's currently a buy recommendation in Stock Advisor. Okay, well, to be continued, uh, before we wrap things up today, guys, we we thought we'd have a little fun trying something a little bit new here with a segment devoted to uh, what really grinds our gears during earnings season. You know, we, we take a lot of questions. Uh, we see a lot of things going on during during earnings season, and, and earnings season inherently is short term focused, but it is very event driven, and, and we, we obviously talk about it because we want to keep tabs on our companies, but there are you know, there's plenty of stuff that goes on during earnings season <laughs> that we sort of shake our heads or, uh, you know, tisk at. And so we want to go around the table here and uh, and talk about what really grinds our gears. And yes, this is a total shout out to Seth McFarlane and family guy. Okay, so Taylor, let's go ahead and start with you. Tell me about what really grinds your gears during earnings, earnings season. Well, this it's been grinding my gears this earnings season and leading up to
1: it all the talk about the the stimulus from cheap oil and, and the hundreds of billions of dollars that consumers are going to spend because they're not going to be paying them at the pump. But A, we haven't seen that play out, and B, I'm nervous because the employment situation really hasn't gotten its due in the oil and gas sector and how that could potentially negatively impact the entire country if low oil prices continue to play out. I mean, you look at 40% growth in the sector and employment since 2007. Versus just one percent for the rest of the private sector, a um, little bit worrisome for me. Uh, and they pay high-paying jobs. Ninety-six thousand dollars is the average pay in oil and gas industry in the U.S. More than double um, the the average here. So while these everyone's looking for retail to be to be higher or cost structures to be lower, I think the long-term effects here could be could be pretty bad if we don't see a correction in oil prices. Maybe not to the hundreds of dollars per barrel, but at least back into the, the 60s or
0: 70s here pretty soon. Brendan, you want to tell everybody what really grinds your gears?
2: Yeah, so every every time a company releases earnings, they have a conference call, and they get asked questions by analysts, and I read them, and it's awful. It's almost unreadable, <laughs> because the analyst asks the worst, most meaningless questions. Tell
0: me what number to put in cell <laughs> E11. Right.
2: Yeah, essentially it's like, give me some color on this operating margin. And they very rarely ask anything insightful or useful, and it's it and and management really isn't really interested in answering a lot of their questions anyway. So
0: it's just really a waste of time. It's pretty robotic. Yeah, I think generally speaking, when I go through all those calls, I mean, I, I every once in a while you'll run across a decent question, but it does seem that it's many of one them one out are, of a hundred. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the overwhelmingly, they they're just questions that don't really have much to do with anything other than a very short-sighted, typically, you know, that day concern, and, and it has to do with, yeah, you know, like you said, them putting a little color on something, figuring out a way to adjust their model to upper... Or, or, to get a better guess at uh, mm-hmm. the number of,
2: pe- you know, down to the penny, what earnings are going to be next quarter. It's very little sort of strategic talk about the important aspects of the business, and then management... Some teams are interested, but a lot of them just give bad answers to bad questions.
0: Do you think that's because they don't really know what to say, or are they just trying to end the call? I mean, is it you feel like maybe management sitting there on the other end of the line thinking, "Oh my god, can we just get through this?" I, mean, <laughs> I have a business to no run. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, if they, they feel like they're getting stupid questions, then they're probably more more liable to to offer up you know stupid or sort of non answers. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things
2: is if you want to um, if you want somebody to not read a paper that you write, you should make it really, really long <laughs> and, and really circuitous and pointless, and then they, nobody will bother to read it, so you don't have to worry about having a point or, or an answer or anything.
0: One of the greatest lessons we've learned, <laughs> I think, here, at least in my time, my five years of the full, learn how to write short and that will help you get your point across. More people will listen. And then there's the old axiom of uh, listen twice as much as you talk. That's right. right. Well, you know what really grinds my gears, and it seems like it happens every earnings season, is when a company, uh, you know, they release earnings and maybe they missed estimates, or there's some margin concerns, or there's a conference call, and and there's some sort of of concern that's raised on the call, and the, and the stock sheds half its value the next day because. You know, the market market heads for the exit. And then, almost without fail, the following day, you'll see just a litany of headlines that so and so law firm has initiated an investigation into this company and its management practices, thinking that there's some kind of fraud there uh, that that comes from uh, you know a company's quarterly earnings release. And it seems like I mean, those to me, that's that's like the stock market's equivalent of, of ambulance chasers. I mean, I, I know they have a job to do, and that's how they make their uh, you know make their money. But but to me, I mean, I, I look at InvenSense as like a really good. Example recently of, of one where we saw, you know, we, we knew uh, covering the company there were going to be margin concerns with these big deals with companies like Apple. Mm-hmm. They're selling more uh, products to, to companies like Apple, so they're giving them better pricing, which is affecting margins. We all knew this was happening. And yet, when the conference call came out and the margin concerns were expressed on the call and seen in the release, still attorneys attorneys announce an investigation and, and the next day you see this just litany of headlines and, and to me you know people people see those and i think they immediately freak out because uh-oh there there's there's someone being investigated here there's some sort of malpractice going on or somebody did something wrong and 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 you know this brings into question the management team i th- i think overwhelmingly the majority of the time these are irrelevant baseless frivolous lawsuits and so to me i feel like that's just more cost added to the system that doesn't even need to to be recognized i look at it as until the sec gets involved i'm 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 pretty much all right with this and
1: stratasys was a good example recently as well with uh, they pre-announced and stocks sold off about thirty percent within hours. That's you good. Saw That's another good point.
0: Yeah, and, and I mean companies that jump out in front of the bus early. Yeah. Uh, to try to 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 sort of ease the pain. I right? we saw leapfrog did the same thing. Following day, shares fell thirty mm-hmm. percent. And I think there's uh, you know that there's a you know an investigation going on there. Thanks to uh, you know <laughs> a few lawyers out there. And no offense to any lawyers out there. Is we, we've got no problem with lawyers, but but we do uh, we do find these to be uh, more or less frivolous. Uh, cases uh, most of the time. All right. Well, hey, that'll do it, I guess. Right? What grinds your hey, gears? Let us know uh, what you think about that. And if tell us what grinds your gears. You know, hit us up on Twitter at Market mm-hmm. or uh, Radio at Fool.com. Let us know what really gets your uh, gets your goat during earnings season, so to speak. Uh, Brendan Matthews, Taylor Muckerman, guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks uh, for uh, you know being patient with me today. <laughs> hey, on. man. Going easy you did great. <laughs> well, thank you very much. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That'll do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed, not by Ann Henry, or is it by Henry? If it's DZ Beezy, Dan Boyd, Daniel <laughs> and Boyd, you need to get home and get yourself better. Thanks both of you for being here. I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Tuesday.